Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Well, I want to thank Apple Software as a sponsor of this podcast. You know, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is choosing the best software and digital tools to thrive, especially while we're operating remotely. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Apple just might be the solution you're looking for. For almost a decade, Applos has grown their mission to provide nonprofits with a powerful all-in-one software to manage their finances, people, and giving efforts. In addition to providing a one-stop shop for all your accounting needs, you can file taxes, accept donations by text, communicate with donors, and get robust reporting all in one place. Now, here's how you can get started. Start a free trial and pay only $1 a month for the first three months. You can even start working in the software the same day. Just go to podcast.aplos.com to learn about this limited offer, which is valid through June 30th. Again, that web address is podcast.aplos.com to jump on this offer and get your nonprofit the digital tools you need. Now on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, Advocacy. Advocacy can often be a minefield for many in the nonprofit sector. I mean, how much can our organization do? What kind of advocacy is okay? And what kind could jeopardize our 501c3 status? Concerns like these often can cause a lot of nonprofit leaders to avoid involvement in advocacy altogether. Well, my guest on the show today will help us navigate through how to do advocacy well and why advocacy can be so vital, especially now when we're facing a global pandemic. My guest today is Eduardo Sanchez. He currently serves as Chief Medical Officer for Prevention and Chief of the Center for Health Metrics and Evaluation for the American Heart Association. And prior to joining the American Heart Association, he served as Vice President and CMO for Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, where he focused on worker and worksite wellness, clinical prevention, and chronic disease management. Enjoy today's show. Well, Eduardo, it's so great to have you on the show today. You know, when it comes to advocacy in nonprofit organizations, for many of us, there are lots of questions and, and perhaps even a bit of fear of not knowing exactly how to go about it the right way. And so today, I would love just to get your perspective on advocacy and how you've done this at the American Heart Association and what your recommendations for all of my listeners would be as to how they can more successfully incorporate advocacy in their respective organizations. And so my first question to start out with is this. When it comes to advocacy, where does an organization start? Like, what are the first key steps to create momentum in this area of advocacy? That's a great first question, Rob. Advocacy starts with knowing the issue. So an organization needs to have a firm understanding of how existing laws and policies impact their issue or their mission, and then what changes are necessary to help achieve the change. Um, organizations also need to know the policymakers, that is, the officials who have the ability to do that which needs to get done, whether that's members of Congress, leaders of federal agencies, governors, state legislators, 
mayors, city council members, the list is kind of long, but know who they are. Next, you got to know what you're asking for, the ask. And in this case, ask is a noun. What specifically do you want from those policymakers? What do you need, what do you need them to do? And how can you help them get it done? Um, and how will the action that you need them to take improve the lives of people you represent? And so it's critically important to be prepared before communicating with an influencer in any way, a meeting, a phone call, or an email. You really need to know what that person's position is on um, on on that particular issue. Explain in the most convincing terms why they um, might should see things the way you see them and how you can help them move this issue along with your assistance. At the American Heart Association, we pr approach all of our advocacy efforts this way. We do it with passion. We believe strongly in everything that we ask influencers to do, and we do it with commitment. Uh, we know that influencing policy is a long and time-sensitive process. So one thing is um, it may take more than one conversation. It may take more than one session, um, and you just have to um, remind yourself that um, it's uh, using baseball terminology. It's a nine-inning game. Um, and influencers need to understand, though, that we will be relentless and we're not going to stop until we get the job done. We're coming back at ending number two, three, four, five, et cetera. No, very helpful. And, you know, since March, of course, for my listeners' sake and everybody um, in this whole country, we've been dealing with this COVID-19 crisis. And I was wondering, as a practical example of advocacy, could you discuss how nonprofits have been mobilizing their supporters during this pandemic in order to speak to maybe government leaders? That could be locally, that could be nationally, or just communicating more directly as to what they need in terms of recovery. How has this played out uh, from what you've seen? Well, so we at the HA, we're playing kind of a two-way game. One is that we are continuing to advocate for people, um, uh, for people primarily. There's lots of people who have been adversely affected by COVID-19, their health, um, their, their economic situation, um, and we are um, advocating, and I'll be specific about some of the things we're doing. We're also advocating for medical providers and for health and healthcare systems. So access to medical care is something that we have always been advocates of and we continue to be and feel very, very strongly about. We have been monitoring and addressing issues related to food insecurity. Uh, we are an organization that thinks that healthy food in schools is really important. Well, all those children in school um, are not in school, and um, um, many of those children relied, for example, on free and reduced lunch programs um, to be fed, and we are uh, doing everything we can to make sure that access to food for those and others is um, made available. We have been advocating for increased access to telehealth. If you can't leave your home and you need to see your doctor, or if you're a doctor and you need to have your patient seen, um, telehealth has become um, very much of a, uh, a, a go-to standard practice. We've been advocating for that and continue to do so. And we've engaged 
supporters, that is AHA volunteers broadly, in calling on our elected officials to address things like um, personal protective equipment shortages, uh, to end surprise medical billing for patients, and expand access to Medicaid, all of which are really, really important issues um, in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. But in addition to that, that's advocating for others. We're also advocating for nonprofits. We're advocating in support of the very vital role of nonprofits. All across the country, nonprofit organizations are stepping up to meet the needs of our um, communities and um, uh, the people in those communities in these really trying times. And the demand for our services has perhaps never been greater. Um, even the American Heart Association, you might think, well, what are y'all doing around COVID-19? We're doing a lot, I explained already, um, and people are looking to us to provide them credible information about COVID-19, particularly in people who have heart disease or stroke. Um, but this demand has come at a time when the drain our resources are presenting quite a challenge because our ability to um, uh, fund ourselves has been more challenging at this time as it has been for many of our sister nonprofits. We are making the case that our nation's nonprofits cannot be casualties of this crisis. We've mobilized our key contacts and board members to help make the case for support of nonprofits in the recovery packages that are passed by Congress. We want to ensure that low interest forgivable loans, for example, are accessible for nonprofits in the same way that they've been to small business and, um, uh, and uh, small businesses and, and larger corporations. How are we doing this? Well, we're keeping physically distant, but socially connected. So we rely and have relied in the past on lots of one-on-one -on -one kinds of uh, conversations, uh, but we are using technologies, texting, Facebook, Instagram Live, video meeting platforms to enable us to stay in touch with our volunteers, um, ensure their well-being first and foremost, but then engaging them in some of this advocacy work. Uh, we've offered programs and content that helps people stay healthy and well throughout the pandemic. An example would be uh, move more workouts. You can go online and do a 30-minute workout that's been videotaped. Some of those are live. And we are advocating for, in the public space, something that we call don't die of doubt. Uh, don't die of doubt is there are people who are not calling 911 because they're so afraid of COVID-19 that even while they're chest is crushed with a heart attack, they are not calling 911. We want to make sure people are, and we want to make sure policymakers understand that we need help with that. We're relying more on uh, phone calls, Zoom meetings, and um, social media platforms like Twitter to deliver our messages to elected officials. And lastly, advocates have a real hunger to connect with others and do something positive. So it's worth noting that AHA and other advocacy groups have seen a spike in engagement during the pandemic. We think that that's because people are home. Um, some of their normal activities and social engagements have fallen away. But you know what? I'd like to think that people are feeling like they want to make a positive difference. And our advocacy channels and efforts give them a chance to do something concrete that's helping the situation. It's empowering. It's helping us. Those are some of the things that we are doing. 
Well, on behalf of myself, just as a fellow nonprofit leader, and then my listeners as well, who most are involved in the nonprofit sector, thank you, you know, for advocating for the nonprofit sector as a whole, uh, because I know the American Heart Association, obviously, is a very large organization, so it has weight. And I think when you advocate, not just for yourself, but for all nonprofits, it does make a difference, like it has an impact. So thank you. Um, and maybe you could go into that. Uh, that. One of the things I was excited to have you on the show was the American Heart Association, again, has had many campaigns. And so I thought maybe it would be helpful for my listeners, again, to share some tangible ideas for some effective nonprofit advocacy campaigns that you've been involved with. What have you learned along the way? And maybe what are some of the, the great um, nuggets you can share with us that you've learned? Well, I would sum up AHA's advocacy with three words. It's actually four words, but one's a contraction, just to be um, in case there's any English teachers out there. You're the cure. Um, that is our advocacy campaign uh, that encompasses um, most, if not all, of what we do. Some successful campaign examples. We have um, been involved in um, successfully getting increased funding for the National Institutes of Health. That's the big um, federal research um, organization slash organizations um, that uh, um, fund a lot of the research that gets done in the United States of America. That's pretty traditional. But we've also worked with food growers, for example, to partner on school nutrition policies. And we successfully got an unusual partner of ours to be along with us advocating for better and healthier food in schools. We've been involved in a lot of work around tobacco control, smoke-free, raising the sales age for tobacco to 21. Um, we've been successful in ensuring that high-quality systems are in place. Um, we've been very successful in getting CPR training requirements in schools. And why is that important? I'll just talk about why that's so important. When a person has a sudden cardiac arrest, their chances of survival are so much higher if there's someone around who's been trained in CPR. And one of the ways that we want to go about doing that so that it covers the entire country, all segments, rich, poor, black, Latino, white, Asian, American Indian, Alaska Native, um, north, south, east, west, is making sure that high school students are trained in CPR. One thing that makes a big difference that we think is critically important is that authentic communities from individuals um, and from communities that are impacted are very, very important. So part of our You're the Cure campaign includes bringing people to Washington, D.C., or having them visit members for federal advocacy, having visit members' offices in the districts to bring their stories as constituents to those elected officials. Um, it allows us to bring together diverse voices and stories from many, many different perspectives in support of the same thing, and that's incredibly valuable. And we use um, what I'm going to call a quality improvement approach. So we're trying to be smart and strategic with our time and our resources. So we plan our advocacy campaigns. We evaluate how we did by doing an after-action analysis, and then we take our learnings and either do things better, keep doing the things that worked well, and sometimes quit doing things that didn't work out too well. 
So we've created a learning environment around our advocacy work, which has made us even more effective now than we were three years ago or five years ago or seven years ago, because we continue learning. We are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They are experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site, to the tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that the support and expertise I've received from them is top-notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. And here's the best part. You can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership, and just use the promo code leadership during checkout. Once again, that is cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership and use the promo code leadership for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team that we can trust. Well, I want to thank Aplo Software as a sponsor of this podcast. You know, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is choosing the best software and digital tools to thrive, especially while we're operating remotely. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. For almost a decade, Aplos has grown their mission to provide nonprofits with a powerful all-in-one software to manage their finances, people, and giving efforts. In addition to providing a one-stop shop for all your accounting needs, you can file taxes, accept donations by text, communicate with donors, and get robust reporting all in one place. Now, here's how you can get started. Start a free trial and pay only $1 a month for the first three months. You can even start working in the software the same day. Just go to podcast.aplos.com to learn about this limited offer, which is valid through June 30th. Again, that web address is podcast.aplos.com to jump on this offer and get your nonprofit the digital tools you need. Now on to the show. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you are aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. A lot of people think that when you get involved with advocacy, you could risk jeopardizing their 501c3 status. And so maybe you could speak to what the boundaries, for lack of a better term, are regarding nonprofits and advocacy. Like what and where can they get involved? And what are the common pitfalls that they could maybe fall into that uh, you could help them steer around? So a couple of things, just sort of personal reflections. First of all, I'm going to say, um, and this is in the words of Bones um, from Star Trek, and you can look that up if you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a doctor. 
not a lawyer or a tax expert, but many 501c3 charitable organizations, including the American Heart Association, do advocate on public policy issues within the parameters set forth by the Internal Revenue Service. And so we advocate because we know that advocacy is essential to our mission, um, which is to be a relentless force for a world of longer, healthier lives. Public policy plays an essential role in ensuring that people have access to health and have access to health care and that they live in communities where they can lead healthy lives. And organizations like the AHA can provide valuable perspective to decision makers as they deliberate. I will say that our legal compliance and advocacy staff help us ensure that we stay within the proper guardrails. I think that any charitable organization that is wondering about the line between going over that line and staying within uh, the parameters set by the IRS would be wise to first talk to a nonprofit tax expert to clearly understand what's permissible and what to avoid. Sometimes state laws are more limiting than even federal regulation, so that's an important consideration. I would say that charitable organizations um, always should think about um, um, having on their board um, the kind of expertise that could help them uh, navigate that world of what's within the parameters set forth by the Internal Revenue Service. So uh, last thing I'll say is that uh, I had the great privilege of running the state's health department in Texas for five years, and we were not allowed to advocate. And the mantra for, for me from my legal team was inform and educate. While that's not legal advice, inform and educate as a mantra in my head as I was out and about in the state capitol um, kept me out of trouble a lot of the time. Best advice, talk to a tax expert, maybe one that's on your board. Thanks for that. No, very helpful. And, you know, when it comes to the modalities or the communication channels that you'd recommend uh, when it comes to advocacy, uh, as well as the metrics we would use to track our advocacy and whether or not it's being effective, what, in your opinion, are the greatest metrics and most important modalities that you recommend that we actually use? Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's, your questions are, are really, really uh, uh, meaty uh, questions. Um, I love it. So uh, with regards to communications, um, you know, right now in this time of COVID, uh, we have to meet volunteers and advocates where they are. And right now, that's online, um, as our ability to gather in person is much diminished. Email is still our main mode of communication but we're finding text messages are really a great way to communicate with many of our advocates when we need action fairly quickly. Social media is great for raising awareness and reaching more people and actually different um, uh, uh, groups and cohorts than we've been used to. And authentic relationships and ongoing communication are really key. If you have the capacity to understand how individuals prefer to hear from you and deliver content in the way they prefer, that's the best. So, you know, if people want to be texted to, you text with them. If they prefer email, you do that. And those that prefer to connect through some of the other uh, social media platforms, um, the extent to which you can build capacity 
or the extent to which you can tap the abilities of your staff is the degree to which you can do that. So our feeling is that around communication, a multifaceted, segmented strategy is the key to communicating effectively with the most people. As it relates to metrics, we do process measurement and we do measure output. So we try to measure our successful campaigns. Did we pass a policy? Were we able to defend against a bad policy? Uh, we look at email metrics. We look at um, social media traffic, um, and we track our partnerships. But at the end of the day, all those numbers are not as important as outcomes. So at the end of the day, all that effort has to result in the outcome that we're seeking, and the outcomes that we're seeking are the health outcomes. So sometimes it'll be a while before we know that what we did made a difference, but when it's all said and done, that's the most important thing. So a good example is tobacco, because we've been engaged in that work for decades, been tracking that work for decades, and we can see whether it's at a federal level, a state level, and sometimes even at a local level when indoor smoking laws are passed, we can see that the law was passed, but even better when we see six or 12 months later that heart attack rates went down, um, we can feel like that might have contributed to that particular outcome. Uh, we measure our impact by looking at health outcomes. We want to see health improve in the states and communities where we do our work. We want to be sure that the impact we're having is driving towards more equitable health for all. So let me just say one thing there. Health equity is critically important to us, and so that is a metric we track, and it is also um, a metric that affects who and how we communicate, who we communicate to and how we go about communicating. That's a perfect segue with equity in healthcare. You know, as we're uh, recording this, we're right in the midst of this nationwide uprising, really, against racial injustice and inequality. And so I wonder, as you look into the future, and especially in light of this uh, wave of nationwide protests regarding racial tensions and, and the sources of racism in our country, what will nonprofit advocacy look like in the near future and perhaps even in the distant future? Well, I think... One thing, a place to start is that it's important to recognize that first and foremost, peaceful protest and public demonstrations are a fundamental exercise of civic engagement in this country. And they are a foundational exercise of First Amendment rights. And I, I just want to start there uh, because this is a, um, it, it is civic engagement and it is constitutionally protected. Dissatisfaction with the status quo, I believe, is at the root of, of any effort to influence public policy, and it fuels the passion and commitment, which I referenced earlier, which we have seen over the past few weeks for very good reason and that are essential for successful efforts to drive change. Um, again, the past few weeks have shown us a lot of things. It's that in addition to people demonstrating their beliefs in the public space. Private sector and nonprofit organizations alike can also be responsive to the concerns of the people they employ and serve and hope to serve and hope to serve and the greater population. Um, and I think we're seeing that, you know, everything from decisions about what kinds of flags are going to be flown at certain places to decisions that non-governmental organizations 
have made about a very public statements about the past few weeks and what they mean. This has been a time where I think uh, nonprofits are in a position to make their position known. Uh, we at the American Heart Association, Association believe, as I said earlier, we need to meet people where they are. We need to listen. Uh, we need to actively listen, which means that we need to hear what they are saying, and then we need to redouble our commitment to ending health disparities and social inequities as it relates to what we've seen in the last few weeks and as it relates to the disproportionality that we've seen with regards to severe COVID and fatal COVID among certain populations. We believe that meeting people where they are, listening and engaging is going to make us a stronger organization and more effective in all of our endeavors, including advocacy. Well, I really resonate with that. Again, this is a fascinating conversation. I think my listeners are going to be want to find out a little bit more about you and American Heart Association as well. So where would you send them? Like if they want to find out more about you personally and then uh, the organization itself, uh, a website or whatever, where would you send them? Well, I don't even know where to send somebody to get information about me because I've never tried to find it. But I would say you probably can find information about me at heart.org. Uh, which is our organization's website. And that is a place that, uh, that is a website that's full of all kinds of information about advocacy, about COVID-19, and about the things that are our bread and butter, heart disease and stroke. And then also yourthecure.org, yourthecure, all one word, no apostrophe, uh, yourthecure.org, heart.org, more information. Well, Eduardo, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show and sharing your insights. And thanks, too, for really fighting for health equity. Uh, it's uh, not just you know now, but you've done that for years. So thanks for all that you're doing and, again, for sharing your insights with us. Thank you for having the AHA on this podcast. We appreciate it very much. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.